This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 20th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The Cato Institute has filed suit challenging the president's authority to spend, without congressional approval, billions of dollars to cancel student debt. Clark Neely is the senior vice president for legal affairs at the Cato Institute. We spoke earlier today. In response to President Biden's mass debt cancellation for uh, many students, uh, former college students, um, many lawsuits have been filed. What makes this suit different and and why is it do you think it's important for uh, many different groups to file their own suits uh, when we're talking about, you know, many billions of dollars? Yeah, unfortunately, the way things have developed, um, courts are becoming increasingly inclined to turn efforts to challenge plausibly unlawful government conduct into a kind of a game of whack-a-mole where the the question um, about whether the, the government is in fact acting illegally never gets reached because they try to, the courts will bend over backwards to try and find some way to find that a given plaintiff doesn't have standing or the suit isn't ripe yet or it's moot or there's some other reason why a particular plaintiff can't even be in court to challenge the program. And so a number of organizations, including most recently Cato, have tried to come up with ways to assert um, a a redressable injury that would be sufficient to provide standing. And the sort of the new twist in the Cato case is arguing that um, a, a pre-existing program called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program um, that was designed by Congress um, to to you know sort of enhance the ability of nonprofits to compete for employees has been undercut, completely undercut and undermined by this unilateral executive action on the part of the Biden administration. And that's our sort of unique angle. So more broadly, to hear Tommy Berry tell it uh, at the Cato Institute, the the fact that the administration chose uh, the HEROES Act as one of its reasons for or uh, reasons for claiming it, the authority to be able to do this without congressional permission uh, is important. Well, unfortunately, this is part of a pattern that we've seen through multiple administrations that when the president wants to implement some policy, but Congress hasn't, our elected policymaking branch hasn't decided to do it, they president just says, okay, well, maybe I can do this unilaterally. I'll have some, you know, some of my, uh, you know, very smart lawyers go looking through the statute books to see if we can find some law on the books that might be, uh, you know, if you squint at it the right way, uh, provide support for this policy. And so that's what they did here. They went all the way back to 2003. There was a law that Congress enacted called the HEROES Act that was basically designed to uh, ensure that uh, people who had served in the Iraq war were not um, sort of disadvantaged in some way when it came to uh, paying back their student loans. And frankly, the idea that um, in enacting that law in 2003, Congress uh, could plausibly have intended to also empower um, the uh, federal government to forgive student loans kind of across the board in the way that the Biden administration proposes to do is just preposterous. And, you know, it speaks to a larger uh uh, concern that I have, and I think that you share it, that people want good things to happen and they don't care that much about the process by which those things happen. 
Well, and when you say good things, I think unfortunately all too often what they really mean is a free lunch for me and I don't particularly care who pays for it because that's really what's going on here with student loan forgiveness. This is a massive wealth transfer uh, from ordinary working Americans to people who have chosen to take out loans to go to school um, and uh, for whatever reason think that that you know, sort of gives them some special status that they should be able to uh, uh, kind of renege on that loan that they took out and say, hey, uh, I chose a major that's not paying very well, so maybe all my friends and neighbors can get together and pay back my loan for me. I think it's not only is it uh, unlawful because the the executive branch has no real statutory authority to do this. It's also unjust, which is perhaps one reason why Congress has not gone along with it. Um, and it's also incredibly unwise because, as our colleague Neil McCluskey has pointed out, uh, to a high degree of certainty, this will uh, further uh, inflate college uh, tuition costs uh, because uh, people in, in the future can effectively say, well, you know, the last generation got their loans forgiven. I'm sure that's probably going to what's going to happen with me as well. So I'll just take out whatever amount of money, money is necessary in order to uh, pursue this possibly not very valuable degree. And I'll worry about paying it back later. Um, and if I can offload that cost onto my fellow taxpayers, uh, so much the better. What are the next steps here? The lawsuit is filed. It's out there. What do, what do you hope for? What do you expect? Well, in all likelihood, we will uh, pursue a preliminary injunction, which is just a way of trying to get the court to make a, a kind of an early determination that um, before we sort of get to a final resolution on the merits, uh, we should freeze everything where it is right now, which is um, be, you know not allowing the administration to forgive these loans. So we you know we try to preserve things where they are so we don't have to go back and unwind if the court does ultimately decide that this uh, uh, presidential order was unlawful. So that would likely be the next step. My guess is that the federal government will do what it does, uh, not only in all of these cases, but just about every single case challenging government authority, which is to try to conjure up some reason why um, the court shouldn't even get to the merits, uh, shouldn't even get to the preliminary injunction motion and just say, hey, um, these people don't have standing uh, or this organization doesn't have standing to pursue this suit. That has really become sort of the acme um, in many ways of sort of government civil rights litigation is to shield the government from a merits decision by coming up with some way of enabling the court to just toss the case on what, you know, sort of the average person would call a technicality. And it's no, I think, accident that government lawyers don't wish to defend um, the, the the various programs on the merits because, again, increasingly, the legal justification for what the government is doing is often extraordinarily weak, as it is in this case. And there are very good reasons why they want to try to do everything in their power to make sure the court never actually looks at the merits of the case. That's what they've been doing in all of the cases that have been filed so far. I'm sure they'll do it in this case. But I think we've got actually a really good argument. Um, one of our, our friends at the Pacific Legal Foundation filed uh, a suit uh uh, challenging this program as well. And the Biden administration wa response was uh, in in short, oh, well, we're going to we're going to fix the program. So now you're you're not going to be able to sue us. That seemed to be the the push anyway. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, and we've seen this before. I mean, I've been a public interest litigator, as you know, for for about 20 years, and this is not unusual. So the government uh, will often, um, you know, change the program in some way or alter its behavior in some way in order to avoid a potentially meritorious challenge to the legality of what it's doing. We see this in forfeiture, for example. We've actually seen cases where somebody um, 
this has just actually happened in, in Chicago about, uh, I think, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, got a really good forfeiture case teed up. The Supreme Court accepted it, granted cert. There was a really meaty constitutional issue. And when the government saw the writing on the wall, they said, oh, well, here's all your property back. And now you don't have a case against us anymore. So they've been doing something analogous to that in these uh, student loan forgiveness challenges where whatever basis of standing is asserted, you know, in the, in the PLF case, it was that I believe the plaintiff was going to incur some state tax liability uh, by having his loan forgiven under the Biden plan as opposed to a different framework. And so the Biden administration was like, OK, great. Well, then you're opted out. You're not part of the loan forgiveness program anymore. And that's why I use that description, that, that whack-a-mole uh, term to describe what's going on here is this incredibly disingenuous uh, effort on the part of the government to make whatever changes are necessary to a program in order to ensure that no one ever has standing to challenge it. And, uh, you know, frankly, both as a public interest lawyer and as just as a citizen, this offends me deeply that so much um, of sort of constitutional um, and and public interest litigation has come down to a question of whether the government can come up with enough disingenuous ways to alter its behavior to ensure that no one can get into court and challenge the merits of what the government is doing. Um, and that's just not, I mean, look, sometimes you just don't have standing. I don't have standing to challenge the government's decision to provide a particular weapon system to Ukraine. That's ridiculous. At the other end of the scale, um, when the federal government is spending hundreds of billions of dollars um, and offloading those expenses onto people who never signed up for a loan, um, the idea that nobody should have, or nobody and no organization um, can get into court to challenge that, and uh, even when you know it is plausibly illegal, uh, it's just not the system that we're supposed to live in. Clark Neely is Senior Vice President for Legal Affairs at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>